already pointed out, we have started a uh, 11-week series in the book of Galatians, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia. So you can turn to Galatians, and this morning we're going to be approaching the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Before we do that, we'll turn to the Lord and ask His blessing on this time. Father God, I want to do just that. I want to humble myself before you and ask that that you take over and are in charge of this time. Pray, Lord, that we worship you through your word this morning, that we bow down to you and surrender to what you would teach us, that as we go through the book of Galatians, we take a hard look at ourselves, that we just don't consider it a a different time in a different place, but understand that there are ramifications in our own lives. And Lord, I pray that if there's anything in our own lives or even within our church community that we have conjured up, that, that we have added on to the truth and freedom of the gospel, that it be stripped away, even if that process is difficult. I pray, Lord God, that we stand for the truth of Jesus Christ and the freedom that He brings in the lives of those who trust in Him. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we considered the first chapter of Galatians and we considered the fact that there is only one gospel from heaven. John Stott, who I love to read, says... If there is only one gospel in the New Testament, there is only one gospel for the church. The gospel has not changed with the changing centuries. What also has not changed with the changing centuries is the fact that this one true gospel is for all people. This one true gospel is open and available and accessible for all people. It may sound elementary, but once again, I think we need to examine our hearts. And maybe this morning, that's the very simple thing we need to do to ask ourselves whether individually or corporately we exclude, whether with thought or thoughtlessly, anyone from the realm of the gospel. In the first century, there was a pushback from the Jews that the gospel, the, the gospel was spreading through in Jerusalem and that region. There was a pushback that the gospel could possibly, possibly be for non-Jews or Gentiles. How could the Jewish Messiah who came to save the Jews possibly also be available to people that are not of Jewish origin, which likely represents most of us here. And if the gospel is to be for non-Jews, would those non-Jews have to conform to Jewish standards to truly be of the faith? Is the gospel really for all people? You know, I I think that Christians, or maybe say we Christians, often preach that the gospel is for all people, but yet act as if it's for a select few. 
or maybe for certain types of people. And sometimes even in our approach to who we share our faith with, we reveal this in our actions. Who the message we might believe is for and who the message we may believe is not for. Uh, For some, we may tend to um, believe that the message certainly is for those people that seem that they are just about there. That, that they almost act as if they're Christians already. Yet they haven't made a profession of faith. And by this we may mean that they're nice, that they have some church or religious or, or Christian background, that, or that they have a high standard of morality. And somehow in our minds we consider them a better candidate than the guy who smokes three packs a day, who uses colorful language, and maybe has uh, his fourth living girlfriend out of the last three years. We say to ourselves, well, this guy is a candidate for the gospel, because in my mind he's just about there, and this guy certainly would be close to it. And to be fair, maybe, maybe that exact equation needs to be flip-flopped for some of you. <laughs> maybe for some of you, you have a real heart for those who are kind of rough around the edges and say the gospel is surely for them, but ignore the straight-A student or the star of the football team. When we share our faith with one and not the other, what are our actions reveal about ourselves? what our actions reveal about our understanding of the gospel. Who do you exclude? Do we believe that the gospel is for much more for the immoral? I'm sorry. Do we believe that the gospel is as much for the immoral person as the moral? Do we believe that the gospel is as much for the unchurched person as the person that grew up sitting in a pew? Do we believe the gospel is as much for someone with a Muslim background as someone with a Lutheran background or someone with a Hindu background as someone with a Methodist background? Do we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is as much for the Palestinian as it is for the Israeli? Do we believe that the gospel is as much for an emotionally unstable person as it is for someone who appears to be emotionally stable? Do we believe that the gospel is as much for the homosexual offender as it is for the straight-laced father or mother of three? Do we believe that the gospel is as much for the perpetrator of a crime as it is for a victim? Do we believe that the gospel is as much for the girl who dresses immodestly, has several... (coughs) has several body piercings and tattoos, I'm sorry, as much as we do for the nice, clean-cut girl in the modest dress. And again, to be fair, maybe for some of you, all those equations need to be flip-flopped. Do we, through our actions, show 
that we believe that there is a type of person that will respond to the gospel? And does that type of person often look a lot like us? Have we established an unsaid standard of what one should look like or act like before they're even allowed in our midst? If someone were to come among us that is not like us, would they feel that they could never fit the mold of our unsaid standard of who should be in and who should be out? Is the gospel good news for all people? Let's read Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel I had preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And, they, and all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So what's going on here as we break into Galatians chapter 2? Paul's continuing as he speaks to the Galatian believers who, as we spoke last week, have been infiltrated by um, a sect that we often uh, refer to as Judaizers. And he is um, going back to his timeline and his interactions with the apostles to continue to build his case for the fact that he has the authority to have presented the message that he presented and that it is an accurate presentation of the true gospel. Paul has taken the gospel out of uh, kind of what you consider the religious hub of the day for the Jews that would have been Jerusalem. He's taken it outside of Jerusalem by the call of Christ himself to a people that were very, very different than the original Jewish converts. So the question was for them, as it is for us, 
Is the gospel truly for all people? And if it's truly for all people, do the people that, that come into the faith after us have to conform to the standards and traditions of the original group? Paul returns to Jerusalem after many years of ministry and in the faith, and he presents to the apostles um, the, the gospel and the work that he has been doing amongst the Gentiles, and he's accompanied by a very well-respected Jew named Barnabas, and the product of the gospel among the Gentiles, a a test case, if you will, a man named Titus. Paul realized how much was at stake in this visit and this conversation. As he brought the work and the message among the Gentiles, he understood how much damage could be done if as he went to the apostles, specifically he names um, Peter, James, and John. The James here is not the original James of the twelve. He would have been martyred at this point. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Okay? So he go, as he presents the gospel to these men, he recognizes how much damage can be done if those men mistakenly side with the Judaizers to say that Gentiles must first conform to Jewish law to be a Christian. This is why he says he fears, he had a fear that his efforts may have been in vain. It's not that he was insecure about the message, he was fully confident in the message. It's not that he was insecure about the calling, he was fully confident in the calling. But he knew how much damage could be done if they were to side wrongly. And if, he, if for some reason he received... He received the disapproval of the the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul knew that the gospel was something that we must verbalize, but it is also something we must present and live out in our very lives, in our actions. Paul knew how how important it was to express this by living out the true gospel, by not giving in to actions that would portray a false gospel. So to live out the true gospel is also to not give in to patterns that would represent something that is false in the gospel. Now, what does that mean? What what Paul does is he uses Titus as a living example. He brings Titus, in a sense you could say Paul is really purposely stirring the pot here. He's going into Jerusalem. He's going to meet with the Jewish leaders of the church in Jerusalem. They know that there's this major, this major uh, conflict. There's this major tension about who should be included. And if they're included, what should be required? So what Paul does is he brings an uncircumcised Gentile into Jerusalem and says, here you go, guys. You can't deny this. Titus is a living example. He was a non-Jew that accepted the message of Jesus Christ through faith unto salvation. But he was not compelled to be circumcised, which again it would represent this conforming to religious standards as the Judaizers were saying they must do to be saved. 
His salvation through and loyalty to Jesus did not impose any added requirements upon him. He didn't have to become culturally like another group, like the Jews. Do we expect other people who come into the church in our culture that they must culturally become like us to really be a part of us? We can do that with say, by saying nothing. Actions speak louder than words. If Paul and Titus had, had caved into the pressure of the Judaizers and had Titus circumcised, their actions would have betrayed the freedom of the true gospel. Instead, Titus was a living example of that freedom, that the gospel was truly for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, no strings attached. We are called to be like Titus as living examples of the gospel. And part of that, what that means is being careful that we are not conforming to a false portrayal of the gospel in our lives. You understand? Again, it's starting to, it's starting to be able to look at the water that we are swimming in. That to be a Christian is to believe in Jesus, as we said last week, but the false gospel says it's Christ plus. And every culture that might look a little different. To be a part of this group, yeah, to be a, a Christian in this group, it might be Christ plus, again, fill in the blank. You have to conform to our culture and our traditions. But see, when we live that way, we are living examples of a false gospel, rather than, like Titus, being careful that we are living examples of the true gospel of freedom in Christ. What gospel is being presented in word and action to our neighbors? Is it a gospel that leads to freedom in Christ? Or a false gospel of slavery? Is it one that portrays that to be one of us is to, to conform to a needless set of rules, regulations, and standards, whether said or unsaid? Requirements like that are often not about truth. We like to say they are or think they are. They're often not about mercy. They're often not about justice. They're often not about grace. They're often not about Christ at all. But they're about outward conformity that excludes rather than includes. It's to portray a gospel that really is not for all people, but only for those who are willing to conform to meaningless religious standards. These standards do not represent the true gospel of Christ that represent religious bondage. Even such regulations that were passed down, truly passed down in God's word through the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, in Hebrews 9.10 says that they were but external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So Paul presents what he's been preaching to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul, again, was not commissioned by man, but Christ himself, but he still considered it important. 
for the purity of the gospel and the unity of the church to have a confirmation of the truth and the message and the work with the other apostles. But it's interesting, even in this, even as Paul looks to have the confirmation with the other apostles to stand in unity together, he makes these He uses these terms considering those apostles before he even mentions them. He he says things like, those who seemed to be important. And then in the end, as he uses a few phrases like that, he ends up saying that what he's talking about is Peter, James, and John. Yeah, we would all agree that those guys were pretty important. Now, was Paul discounting their calling, their authority, or their message? Not at all. But there's a caution. Even as Paul is recognizing them as apostles, those that are truly, were truly commissioned by Christ himself, there's some caution here that he's saying that they are still men. What the, apparently what was happening is what the Judaizers were doing is that they were saying, you know, we listen to... Peter. Peter actually walked with Christ. We listen to the gospel of Peter. You're listening to the gospel of who? Paul? Paul didn't spend three and a half years with Jesus. Who's that guy? And they were acting as if they were two different gospels being preached. Paul was making it clear that this was one gospel... And that these men had nothing to add to that gospel because the gospel he was preaching was pure and true. But there's something kind of a little bit unsaid here to say that, to remember that no person and no position is ever higher than the gospel itself. The truth of the gospel itself And the person it represents, Jesus Christ, is higher than any person or office, even within the church. Seems like Paul was cautiously saying, hey, these guys are important. They were called and commissioned by Christ, but don't put them on a wrongful pedestal, folks. They're still men. And they still made some mistakes, as we'll see next week, as as Paul has to confront Peter. And the Judaizers were making it like they were, they were above men. And those are the ones that we follow. Paul says, those who seem to be important, who they are doesn't really matter to me. God doesn't, God doesn't look at the externals. He looks at the internal. God doesn't look at status and position. He looks at the heart. You know, we, we have to be very cautious in the church in our day and age not to put anybody on a pedestal in an unhealthy manner, you know it? We, we, are, we are as guilty of doing that as anybody. Hey, that guy must be somebody. I went, when I was in Haiti, um, it's kind of comical to me because I, I kind of, uh, I spent some time with... Um, the, some of the folks in Haiti, and we had a translator with us named Wilgins, one of my favorite people in Haiti, um, still keeping in touch with him. And for about, I guess for a couple of days, he didn't realize at all that I was a quote-unquote pastor. I purposely wasn't bringing it up. I didn't see the point, really, for, for the reasons that we were there. And um, 
by the time he actually found out that I was a pastor, he was a little, he was almost like a little shaken up by that. How could you possibly have not told me you were a pastor? Like, I was like treating you like an ordinary guy. And in a culture like that, even more so, pastor, oh, wow, you respect pastor. And I had, I still, I still, (laughs) I had the hardest time talking to him and saying, listen, I appreciate that you respect the position, but understand I am but a man, for goodness sake, pastor. Who am I? Who am I? You know who I am? I'm the 18-year-old kid who got his 17-year-old girl pregnant. His Christian girlfriend. Yeah, that's who I am. I'm the, I'm the guy who dropped out of college and worked with my hands for 15 years because of some of the mistakes I made. Not that there was any shame in, in, in that with working my hands, but don't, don't make it like I'm somebody that I'm not. You know who I am? I'm saved by grace just like you, man. I'm commissioned and called by the same Jesus, called to a different work, no greater The gospel is what is important. The Jesus Christ that it represents is what's important. It, no person is higher than that. If, if, in the church, God has established a leadership. He instructs, us, uh, he instructs us to respect that leadership, to have order. But if anyone, if any person, no matter what their position within the church, moves away from the true gospel, that the gospel is by God's grace alone for anyone who believes, okay, that the gospel is by God's grace alone for anyone who believes... It is Christ and the gospel that is to be followed and obeyed no matter who the person, no matter what their status, no matter how they seem to be important according to man. Paul really didn't need their approval of the gospel, but he understood how important it was at the same time to stand in unity with these men. That they were called and commissioned by Christ that they did have a special divine calling, and that when they stood together in unity, they could also stand against all that was truly false. All that was being presented as the truth of the gospel that was not. Even Paul didn't consider himself a spiritual lone ranger. He didn't say, well, you know, this, this God thing and this ministry thing and, and this faith thing, it's just between me and God. I'm working it out by myself or whatever God's called me to do. I, I don't need the help of anybody else. I don't, I don't, need, to be, I, I don't need to be accountable to anybody else. I don't, need to, I don't need to work side by side with anybody else. That's absolutely not how Paul handled himself. He always had companions. He was working with the the apostles in Jerusalem. He understood that our faith was always something we moved in together. Even though ministries and callings may vary greatly, Peter was called to bring the gospel to the Jews. Paul was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Some people are called to bring the gospel to the cities. Some people are called to bring the gospels to the country. Some people are called to bring the gospel to third world countries. Some people are called to bring the gospel to professional athletes. They still need to be in unity with one another. They don't need to look at one another and go, well, how? You're, that's not a true ministry because mine's harder than yours. Or mine. There should not be no such thing as lone ranger Christians. It should be in the context of community, unity, and accountability. And in the end, the work of God through Paul to the Gentiles was undeniable. God revealed it to the whole apostolic community. It was confirmed that the message should be brought as it was to the non-Jewish world, that the good news was for all people and non-Jewish converts did not need to conform to the religious customs of their Jewish counterparts. God's intent for his gospel is that it goes to the ends of the earth, right? That's what the Lord commissioned, that this gospel would go to the ends of the earth. For the newborn church, it meant that it would move beyond Jerusalem, the the religious hub of the day, even to those non-Jews of whom we owe our heritage, some Gentile out there. And what does it mean for us? It means that the gospel has to continue to move out of our religious hubs. The gospel has to move out of this context on Sunday morning. The gospel has to move out from your small groups. The gospel has to move out from your prayer meetings. The gospel has to move out from your private devotional time. All those things are necessary. All those things are good. But the purpose is that the gospel would move out to the ends of the earth. That it would go into the larger community and into your neighborhoods and into your workplaces and into your social settings. And the challenge for us is to simply ask in our setting, is the good news of Jesus still the good news for all people? Is the gospel in word and deed being presented as if it is inclusive rather than exclusive? Are we acting more like Paul? Or are we acting more like the Judaizers? Is it moving out of the centers of religion into every corner of our neighborhoods and communities? Do our actions elevate non-essentials of outward conformity to be one of us. Paul is asked in the end to be mindful of the poor, which he almost sounds, almost sounds like maybe a little bit, he would say with a smile, this was the very thing I was eager to do. Likely they're referring to the poor uh, the difficult situation that they were having in the region of Judea. And the poor are often represent the very first to be overlooked in society. That should never be the case for the church. For the gospel is for all people. It's for the poor and it's for the rich. It's for the oppressed 
And it's for those who are in power. And I say that, I even say that, and you probably picture some child starving in Ethiopia and some guy sitting in Congress. But you know what? There's oppressed people in our very community. There's oppressed people that you probably rub shoulders with every day. And there's local people in power that need Christ as much as they do. It's for the outcast and the marginalized in every culture. And it's also for the popular and the well-liked. It's for the mentally and emotionally challenged and the sick, but also for the healthy. It's for those who are without resource and those who have many resources, those who are lost in misguided ideologies and false religions. But it's also for people that sit in pews and folding chairs Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but have never turned their heart over to Christ. It's those for, who are lost in immoral lifestyles and those who are the most pious and moral among us. People who look a lot like us, whatever that might be, and people that don't look anything like us. People that have experiences that we've shared and people that have experiences nothing like you've had. We must trust that it is the person and message of Jesus that transforms a life. Any life. That changes our identity and our course, the very path that we're on. And those who have been transformed this way by this good news should be the very people, the very instruments that are bringing this message of grace to all people without prejudice in word and deed. It's good news for all people. Is there anyone you're excluding? Let's pray. Father, I'm really grateful for Paul sticking to his guns here. I'm really grateful, Lord, that that Paul realized this was no minor issue of doctrine. It wasn't a preference over hymns or praise songs. It was the essence of the truth of the message of Christ. That we will not exclude anyone. We will not say that you must conform to our patterns and rituals to be a part of us. We'll trust that that will be the work of Jesus to transform a life. The work of the Holy Spirit within us to challenge us and set our course right. Father, please, right now in this time, in this context, reveal to our hearts who we're excluding. Reveal to us who would not be comfortable in this place who would say that I need to be such and such or such and such to fit here. May we seek your forgiveness for such a thing. And may we move on, Lord God, in grace, in the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, acknowledging that it is the message and it is Jesus that transforms lives. 
and that this gospel is for everyone who will listen, and that anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May this be true in our lives and in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.